Put down your paintbrush. It's time for Hobby Support Group. Good morning, Andy. Good morning, Thomas. How are you? I'm not bad, thank you. And yourself? I am very good. I have uh, a lovely bottle of Dr Pepper. That's uh, the king of drinks here oh, nice. beside me. What have you got this, e- this evening, this morning? I am drinking an iced latte protein coffee. Ooh. Mr. It's got milk in it then, I guess. And 25 grams of protein. So Ooh, lovely. Yeah. You'll be hench for the end of the recording. <laughs> so um, what are we talking about today, Tom? Uh, today we are answering a couple of listener questions and then mm-hmm. we're going to sort of possibly like expand on one of those listener questions that may be a main segment it may be a extended tangent so we're looking at what is a hobby butterfly or what do we think is a hobby butterfly when do you choose to abandon a project and then we're going to look at what are our thoughts about possibly like thinning down our collections in the future, do we have any immediate plans or sort of long-term plans for our collections? And I'm so sure there will be sort of tangents and side quests within those as we went well, on so. this morning. Maybe even some lists. Let's let's hope we get to read some lists to each other. That's always the best. But let's see. Great, can't wait to get started. Cool. Listener questions. So a while ago on the Facebook group and listeners, if you're not a member of the Facebook group, please do join Hobby Support Group. The link is in the show notes. Uh, you know, we had the question posed, what is a hobby butterfly? And so, Andy, what do you to you? What is a hobby butterfly? Um, a hobby butterfly, I guess I am a little bit myself uh, one of these. It, it's a, a player who changes from game to game, project to project, and uh, invests a lot of energy into a particular project at a time and then moves on to a new one. Um, They may or may not finish that project. I think there's um, perhaps some negative implication of Hobby Butterfly that you are never truly spending enough time in that project, that game, to really get the most of it before you move on to the new project that is, that holds your interest. Um, I mean, that that's what it means to me, Tom. I don't know if you have any any ideas. Yep. Yeah, um, I'll go catchphrase and early. Completely agree. I think I think it, I think it does probably to most people have the negative connotation that you're sort of. You flit from project to project, game to game, and never really get anything finished. However, I don't think it has to mean that at all. In that, I would definitely describe myself as a hobby butterfly. In that, I, I jump from project to project, game system to game system, type of game, scale of game, everything. You know, all my projects are very different. You know, the last three projects I've done were a large Kings of War army then jump to a large skirmish uh, ancients army and uh, they were both in 28 mil and I'm currently doing a six mil Napoleonic army. You know, they're for three different game systems, three different games, three different periods, three different types of games. But I don't see any problem in that because I finished, you know, I finished Kings of War army, did all that, finished the infamy, infamy army, finished that. No one 
the Napoleonic army, there is no problem I don't see at all of changing from one thing to one thing and just not sticking on one game. I would even go as far as to say it's a much better approach to hobbying to play a variety of games, do a variety of projects, rather than just doing this is another force for game X, Y or Z. I mean, I've I've certainly been in a position and in hindsight, you know, hindsight's 2020, as they say, you know, I could look back and I could see what I should have done was moved on to a new project, a new game. Instead of a kind of double down, like, okay, I'm not enjoying this as much. I need to start a new army. That'll make me enjoy it more. If I start a whole new army and you're like, I'm still not enjoying it. I know I'll try another another new army. Then I'll definitely enjoy it. And it's like, why am I not enjoying it? What I should have done is just consolidate what I had and, and tried something new, uh, a new game, rather than trying to force something that had become less enjoyable to me to, to still be as fun as it was when I started. Oh, definitely. I, I know in the past, I've definitely, you know, when I, I started, in my case, when I started to lose interest in playing 40k, for example, I was a Space Wolves player. I played Space Wolves. I was sort of a little bit fed up of playing them. So I was like, right, I'm going to make, I'll make an all Terminator army. Of course, it was Space Wolves. So I made, I made a, a just painted different type of units for the same army in the same game I played. Didn't really enjoy them very much. Finished those. And I was, these aren't really that great either. I'll do an all Dreadnought Space Wolves army. And, you know, after doing that for year in, year out, I ended up with probably 20-odd you know, thousand points of Space Wolves. And then just realised, you know, I, d- I really don't enjoy this game anymore. I'm going to try something different. Since I started playing other games, I, I painted up a quick and cheerful Chaos Cultist army for a 40k doubles weekend, but I haven't played 40k since, and now I'm, you know, my my hobby horizons just sort of exploded, and it's just, what do I want to do, or what do I think is fun and interesting, and I, I, I really enjoy flitting from one to the other, it's, it's always yeah. a change. Yeah, I think that's that's the opposite of the hobby butterfly, is maybe the, the spiral of death. You know, you're slowly like just stuck in your ways, and and uh, and some people, I'm, and don't get me wrong, you know, some people they just have. You got British, I've got French, and we always just play the Battle of Waterloo, and they play the same opponent, and they play the same game, and they're having a great time, but they're not looking for anything more than what they're already doing. You know, they're still enjoying it. It's I'm talking about the people here who are playing a game and. Um, and not enjoying playing it, but still trying to make it work. Yeah, still trying to make it fun. But there's also some bad sides to you know being a hobby butterfly. Is perhaps you're not getting to play a game till the point where you're really getting to enjoy the the complexity, that the hidden depths that perhaps some games have. Infinity jumps to mind. Obviously, the the listeners know I'm, I'm a I'm a very prolific Infinity player down at the hate club as anyone in the infinity group will be able to tell you and <laughs> and but you know I, from what i understand when you get really deeply into the game there's a whole you know it's such a complicated com- simple rules complexity builds upon it and you know there are 
you know, things to be gained from playing it and learning all the fractions and, and getting a really good understanding of the game. And I think that's the chances you miss out on getting developing that real understanding of the game. Oh, again, agree. But I think if you are, you know, a self-professed hobby butterfly, I think I, I know in my case, I, you know, for example, I've I've never even contemplated playing Infinity because I know it's relatively rulesy, and although everybody raves that it's an amazing rule set, it's not something you can necessarily pick up really quickly. And I quite because I generally don't play I play a lot of different games and I, I don't have you know the only game I play regularly now is Bolt Action but I've played enough of it to know that it doesn't matter if I haven't played a game for a year I can play it without problem so I, I like games that you know by the time you've played your third game you're pretty much familiar with the rules because I might only be playing three or four games of it before I move on to something different and so I purposely go for games which are relatively simple to get the basics of, rather than something that goes, this is quite impenetrable or this is quite complicated. For example, which is why it took me years to actually finally get a game of Chain of Command in, because I was always told, you know, if you want to play Chain of Command, play against somebody who already plays it. It's much easier to grasp, mm -hmm. rather than sort of sit there with the rule book and go, right, so we're starting off in the morale phase. How do we do, you know, how do we sort of, work out things and so that's why I you know for example like the Osprey blue books were generally pretty quick to grasp pretty simple to go like you know we played we played one game of men who would be kings but by the end of it we pretty much knew what we were mm -hmm. doing and it was quite simple yeah you don't get that with every rule system do you think that as a self-confessed hobby butterfly Tom do you think you need to be brave do you think you have to have that courage to like just to try new things and just go out and be on you know the cutting edge of finding new games early think, is it an early adopter isn't it is the term i don't think you necessarily need to be an early adopter i think i think it is a double-edged sword because i think you can risk picking up like every new game that's coming out you can pick up a new game before you know anything about it that can be you know less than brilliant looking at you spqr but then there are there are other games that you can pick up that might have been out for donkeys of years that you've never, you know, like we're going to be starting playing, you know, we've been playing Pike and Shot for a couple of years now. We're going to be starting playing Black Powder soon. You know, we've both got Hail Caesar armies. They're games that have been out for nearly a decade that we're sort of just starting to sort of, you know, get round to actually playing. So I think some of those games that have been out for a long time, you can adapt them as well gradually this is a game that I want to go in. And I think maybe, especially with the historical side of things, there are lots of games out there that have their own communities are well established. It's almost, you can sort of like look at them and go, right, do I want to play Meg? Do I want to play DBA? Do I want to play to the strongest? Do I want to play you know, spare point? Which of these communities do I like the look of? Which do I want to join? And I think rather than there just being a monolithic game, and I think taking that leap from playing a game which has a, like a monolith, if you have some game companies which have like a game, and you go, right, well, I just played this game, what do I now play? 
I suppose it is in a way sort of quite scary. And I, I know sort of seeing on various different hobby forums and that sort of thing, you see like a lot of people are saying, oh, I'm coming from game company A or game company B. What is the best, like, historical game with the best starter set and this sort of thing? And quite often they don't really exist. You sort of like, you know, you have your figures, then you pick a rule set and you give it a good night. You want to play... No, we're we're gearing up for playing Napoleonics. I think you asked which was the best Napoleonics rule set on some I game forums, and you go about forty discs. You go about forty options, didn't you? Yeah. And like, obviously, I mean, that's a lifetime. It would take me a lifetime to play all those games of um, in Napoleonics and to find, and then would have to play them more than once to find out which was actually the best. Because you know, you might just have a bad first game. And while all the time I'm doing that, there'd be new ones coming out. It's just, yeah. Yeah, so I think, like, between us, so I think we've probably got, like, three or four Napoleonic rule sets that we're going to give a go at and actually see which do we like. And, like, we're playing English Civil War. We play the English Civil War using two different rule sets. For two That's different, right. You know, we, we play Pikeland Cement and Pikeland Shot. And I, I think maybe there is... Probably maybe there is, like... A willingness to play with rules you're not a hundred percent familiar with, and you sort of. But I suppose maybe that also links into the kind of gamer you are. If you're you're using the game, not necessarily as like a competitive. I'm playing this game just because I want to win, so I need to know the rules. How do I optimize like my army list and my my rule? Do I utilize my rules knowledge to win, rather than how do I do X, Y, and Z? And winning is accident, you know, incidental to telling the story. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, that's that's maybe what I would say. You sort of maybe how it can sort of up, appeal to people differently. Um, and I know from sort of talking to people and like from people, what people have posted on like various groups and that sort of thing. It seems like some people might have, you know. If you're working on a Dark Angels army, some Emperor's Children, some Custodes and, you know, Sisters of Silence, and you love the game, you love those armies and those factions, but you're working on all four of them at the same time and you haven't finished, you you don't actually have a finished army because you're working on five at the same time. Maybe and it, that is sort of quite upsetting to you because you can't put a yeah because you could, you could be a butterfly within the same game you can jump from army to army and never get it get a get an army finished you know that's definitely true yeah and I think if if, if it is a detriment to your enjoyment of the game that you can't get finished you can't put a painted army on the table I would say I would highly recommend some so like hobby focus to try and just get one army finished so you can go, I've now got this army finished. I can put it on the table. And I think I'm probably in the very privileged position that I just, I can say I don't pay play with unpainted models anymore. Yeah. Um, there, there was a time when I did. Yeah. And now that for me, as well as a thing of the past, like I would choose an army list that was su- subpar, if such a thing is, is possible. Um, that I was not my perhaps my favourite choice, but I would choose to take a painted unit over an unpainted one, and it might be the perfect unit that I was looking for. But I'd rather have a fully painted army these days than the uh, the holy grey of terror. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's it was like it was always like a, a, 
from from growing up, it was always like if you're playing as a kid, you know, if you if you're playing with unpainted models, everyone got preferred enemy against anything that was unpainted. Yep, that's the way we used to play as well. Yeah, and I'm sure we all had that friend who, you know, never even primed their models. You know, they they were just grey plastic throughout the whole time. Uh, you know, year in year out, they're just still grey plastic, and that's fine if that person hates painting and they just want to play a game. Mm-hmm. But if you actually do spend time painting, I, I do think, you know, and it, and it bugs you that you haven't got anything painted, a, a little bit of focus on going, what am I going to do with this? And you can, even if you've got, you find it very boring or you, you, you have to jump about because you, you, you just can't keep painting the same thing. I think you can even do that. I'm going to paint a unit of troops. Then I'm going to paint a vehicle. Then mm-hmm. I'll paint a come out and then I'll paint a character you can even like jump about within a single project well that's yeah that's project management isn't it so that's a definitely a discussion for another time yeah and perhaps if you'd like to hear this that as an episode let us know on the Facebook group um yeah and I think there's some dangers um there's some benefits definite benefits from being hobby buff line that you know you do get to change you know, variety is the spice of life. Life, so maybe spaceships, and then your pike and shot, and then it's Star Wars, then it's forty k. You know, you're moving around, so you're always trying new things. You get to discover what you enjoy playing. Uh, nothing gets too stale. Um, but there is the danger, as I said, of you never really penetrate the depth of the game to understand really what you do enjoy in a game because you're always changing. And then, of course, there's our old friend, financial cost. Yeah, and that's a big one. There's the, the financial cost, and there is also the the you know the magpieing of like the, the newest shiny always takes your eye, and then and opportunity cost. You know, yeah. yeah, I get to play once a week. You know, you got to choose which of these games you're going to play. Yeah, and yeah. this is you know like I. It, I think that you know the financial cost and the opportunity cost I think is is a great point because you know I have to fully admit you know this point last year well no so like October 2020 I was like working out I I like had a, a rough stock take of what projects I'd got in my flat already and I had about 30 projects which I'd like collected over the years I was like oh I really like this I like this I like this and you know I'd, I'd see them a sailor, I'd pick them up at salutes and that sort of thing, and so mm-hmm. stockpiled them all. As like, I'll get to them at some point, and actually realised that's a really dangerous. And in my way, my mind, I think it was a bad, a really bad thing, because it means by the time I actually get around to doing them, it's like three or four years since I actually had the idea and the initial excitement to do them, and it's much more exciting for me to you know have a project delivered, build, paint it, and then play with it quite quickly. And it's done while you're still enjoying painting it. I'm a great believer in painting what you want to play to paint. Sorry, painting what you want to paint while you want to play with it and you're excited by it while you have that. Um, the, the muse has seized you. The muse is going, yes, you need to paint this. Let's do it now while it's fun rather than waiting till it's suddenly like, oh, my God, I've got to paint this. This is such a drudge. You know, yeah. it'll be a, such a such a harder project to paint if you don't want to paint it. Which is which is why I find the oval list such like a revelation in, in my hobbying, in that it focuses right. I'm not buying 
more projects because I've got my projects for this year. It gives me like the focus for what I'm working on and actually, you know, thinking, oh, that's a whole year's worth of hobbying. That's a, a, a long, actually 12 months is not a long time for hobbying. No, it's and, not. And you think actually, like, you're not going to get, you said, you know, we, you get one game a weekend. You don't get that many games in a year. And you think actually having like your oval, in my case, like I find the oval list a really great way of like having interest for every one of my projects because not only do I have the interest in them, this is a project I really want to do, but I also really want to do my oval list. Mm-hmm. And it's it's sort of like double reinforcement and it gives me the freedom to flip from project to project if I get really bored or something. And I, I might again be a little bit of a unicorn in that I paint a lot of, like especially like this last year, I've painted like three big armies of like mm-hmm. sub like more than 250 figures in each of them in 28 mil yeah. so you, you can get like you know, this is you know legionnaire number 243 you get sort of quite bored of painting them so it's a really good idea to put actually you know i'm just going to put this aside for a couple of weeks do this other project and then come back to it which yeah. is something i never would have done before I had the oval list, because I wouldn't have trusted myself to get back to it. Yep. It would just be like, oh, I can't be bothered with finishing them. So now, wanting to get that tick on the list, even though it's just literally a tick on a printout, really gives me that. Uh, just, just, just to reassure the, the listeners, we're not selling the oval list. It's not part <laughs> of a, or part of a cult. For that matter either. It's just something that we do that we find helpful. We're not trying to sell you anything, because I know that the... Um, uh, what's the words I'm looking for, Tom? Your uh, resounding uh, endorsement. <laughs> Sounds no, like an you, advert. If you'd like to know more about overlists, listen to episode 32, where we have a roundtable discussion of them. But um, I, you sort of mentioned it, and I think it's probably we might be coming to our our next question, really. Unless I just want to say, Tom, before we go further, that being a hobby butterfly can lead to you investing a lot of money across lots of different games. But not being a hobby hobby butterfly doesn't mean you're saving money because you could be really super focused on one army and still spend um if your army is 28 millimeter titans at gw then you're going to spend a lot of money <laughs> you know you could still spend a lot of money and not be a hobby butterfly but i think being a hobby butterfly does lend itself more to being you know to investing in in different things yeah and i think you know an elephant in the room for that is maybe Kickstarters and that sort of thing, and actually going, mm-hmm. you know, not back every Kickstarter that takes your fancy because you go, that's a great deal. Yeah, I really wanted that two D sixes Operation Mercury Battle for Crete Kickstarter came along. It was like a hundred pounds, and I'm like, I could afford it, but I had so many projects. I was like, you know, what? I know that company's not going anywhere. I can come back at a later date. I could pick those models up. So I'm just not going to back the Kickstarter this time yeah i would sort of conclude a hobby butterflying in that i think it can be a, a really good thing but you have to be able to have and show restraint and i think even if it is uh, like a convoluted way that you have restraint something like a list or strict budgeting or whatever it is otherwise you can sort of get snowed under with things yeah definitely and I think that's also like a great segue actually into our, our next listener question of 
when do you choose to abandon a project? When there's no love in your heart for it anymore. And I think this there you is, go. We'll yeah. go for a longer answer than that, Tom. I think that's a great. I, I think. I think that's. I don't think there is need for like a, a huge discussion on this. I think. I believe it is a complete waste of time, especially painting a project, if you're just painting it to get it painted, so it's done. And it's just like I don't want to paint these. I don't really want them. I just I'm just going through the motions to get them out of the way. Yeah, I mean I've, I've said to you before, Tom. I you, you you need to be painting for the table, and not painting for the box. You need to be painting models you're going to play with, and not just painting models you're going to put in a box and then never look at again. What is the point? You know, um, and there are some models that it's well. You know, I think yeah you might have a, a particular fondness for you remember oh as a kid i had this model i really want to paint it i'm not gonna play with it but i'm gonna put it in the box and i know i have it but if you've got two thousand models that are like very you know give you very fond memories then maybe you need to be looking at exactly how many you're keeping but i know in the past there's been definitely models i don't care about i don't want they're in my collection and i have just done the quickest nastiest paint job on them just to get them done and just put them in a box i mean what's the point literally i'm just i'm just making less i'm technically making my flat smaller by all these boxes gradually taking up more and more room you know i i think like i would disagree slightly shock horror in that where's the real tom <coughs> what have we done with him in that i think it's fine to paint things if they're going in a box if it is part of like your hobby collection and you like you don't have any immediate plans for it but it's you know if, if you paint if you have a if, if you play D D and you're painting D D monsters and you paint a beholder but your current campaign doesn't have any beholders in them I think that's fine because then your D&D monster collection's going to have a beholder in it and you know there's the potential you probably you might well use it in the future what I, I do agree with you is the fact that you know you're looking at models that you don't like and I think like for me I draw the line at, like where I look at models and I, I might paint them I might not paint them but I just think I wouldn't want to put these on the table because they're just a bit meh like they, they aren't nice models yeah they might be fuddly sculpts there might be something that you picked up second hand or were given that are a bit fuggly or just poor quality and you just think do you know what if i was playing a game and i needed a regiment of 50 orcs and these were the 50 orcs i had i would be pretty sad to put them on the table because they are rubbish yeah and then i would actually so I'm just going to paint them because they're just sat there unpainted, but I'm never going to really want to play with them because I think they're rubbish. I'm going to get rid of them. And that's yeah. that's when I would then get rid of them. And I think I, I have had very few instances of actually getting rid of models because they're rubbish. I have recently just finished an infamy infamy, Kel Army, in where I had... I think it's the army itself is probably about 70 models but i actually used 100 models to build it because i had to chop 
arms and bits and pieces off of other models to actually make the models that I wanted look less terrible because they were awful models. They were they were horrible models. And I, if I'd have painted them in my normal, quick, relatively simple style, I would never have wanted to put them on a table. So I had to like to make me actually have any interest in them. I did a slightly more complicated. I did very much more complicated paint job than I would normally do on them, simply so I could be pleased with the paint job rather than the quality of the model. And but then you know because I chopped off loads of hands and arms and stuff, I'm not keeping the ones I've chopped up because they're garbage. Um, you know it's like I picked them up for cheap so I could afford to do that. But if I, if I had 200 of those Celts, they'd definitely be being sold. Oh, if you would, if, we, if we're going to start talking about cheap projects, like, oh, wow, look how cheap that is. But, but do you need it and do you want it? But look, well, look, it's 80% off. But, oh, but yeah, do you do you need those models? Is, is it an army you play? Well, you know, it's such a bargain. How could I, you know, I think we've all been there picking up things because they're such a good deal. You know, and next thing you know, you've bought them and then you start collecting a whole new army just because you saved money on one unit. Yeah, or, or or I think maybe the other like classic one is that it's like somebody gives you a box of troops. Mm-hmm. So it's like here is like a fifteen pound, twenty pound box of troops. Are you talking about when I gave down those um, Soviet infantry? <laughs> it's like maybe for maybe for like World War Two, it's slightly different because like a box of infantry can be like most of your army. But I mean, like some... two boxes if you're playing Soviets. Yeah. But I think, like, you know, so, say, like, somebody gives you, oh, here's, like, a box of Spanish irregulars from the Peninsula campaign. And you go, great, I play American Civil War. Like, you, you, the two options are you just put them on a shelf and you never build, you never touch them. Or you go, actually, I can't use these on their own. I need to buy some more, you know, either British and use these as... You know, some allies who actually buy a Spanish Napoleonic army for them to actually make them usable, or do I just sell them or give them away? Yeah. And I think that's, I know I've definitely fallen into that trap of being given something or buying something because it was really cheap. Yeah. And it ends up then like costing you a lot more money to actually make it usable. Yeah. 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 yeah definitely. I've def- I mean, I can't think of any exact examples, but I know I've done it in the past. I'm guilty as anyone. Um, so yeah, I guess that's the, the issue of, of hobby butterflies. You end up with loads and loads of stuff that perhaps you don't need, and then you have to work out when you let things go. When are those units going to cross the rainbow bridge and head to eBay? Yeah, I think also though there is. I, I think as a as a slight counter argument to you know getting rid and selling them or, or handing them over it's also the thought that some things can go in the cupboard and they don't have to be an immediate project mm-hmm. you can get to them at a later date yeah as long as there aren't too many of them or, yeah. or like I, I like i would personally limit it to like one or two projects like i know in my case i've got half of a like May 1940s Dutch army for like the defense of Holland. I've got all the troops. I haven't got 
the vehicles or the artillery I need for it. I knew beginning of the, I, I wanted it was on my over list for 2021. I never got around to it. And I realized if I put it on my list for 2022, it would be the 17th of 17 projects that I would paint. So I thought, actually, I'm not even going to try and even think about painting it this year because I don't want to buy the vehicles this year. Yeah, that's going. It's in a, it's a small army. It's in a box. It's in like the corner of one box. I will get around to it in the future because I would like a Dutch army. But I don't need to paint it this year because again that's like a larger project because when i build and paint that i want to then make the dutch fortresses to play against my fortune maker with it which is a bigger project and i i haven't got the space or even like the mental capacity at the moment to start planning out how do you build i mean that's what you want to do isn't it you want to have this fortune you just drop it in it sounds fun yeah i think it would be a cool game it's a, that might be like a cool participation game but that is like a a, a big project yeah, that I will sure. do at a later date. And I don't feel bad that they're sort of like banged in a cupboard somewhere for like just so I don't have to see them. They're sort of like planned. Yeah, I, I think there's a big difference between keeping a, you know, a, a 10,000 point 28 mil Hail Caesar army and a 10,000 point uh, 6 mil <laughs> Hail Caesar army, you know. Yeah, I think that's it. That's a consideration as well. If you can fit your whole army into a a margarine tub, unpainted, then that's a bit easier yeah. to store. But also, if you like, if you've got a ten thousand point, you know, hail Caesar Roman army in any scale, but you actually think, you know, I am really sick to death of ancients. I want to play sci-fi. Sell it. Yeah. Oh no, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. definitely. Um, definitely so hopefully that is our we'll answer this quickly but then probably take 20 minutes to chat about it answer <laughs> actually leads us into like the, the final point of what we're talking about today which is actually like our own personal thoughts on our collections and they, it's something that we've been talking about personally recently quite a bit and we thought we would have a, a more in-depth conversation about it on the podcast for listeners i'm not sure we're necessarily going to have many lists to read out but we'll, tr- we'll try and get some listing in we'll try our best don't worry and i think wh- where we both have what we both have in common i think andy is that we both live in central london yeah we both have a finite amount of space yes and we both have understanding wives very understanding wives but we also both fully admit that we're going to always be building painting yeah and collecting models yeah and you know that is a sort of trifecta limited space continually growing collection doesn't really fit yeah somewhere so we have had to re- we've both come to the realization we've got to thin our collections and have some way of turning them over so we've got space yeah i i went to put some models away the other day that I just finished and I was like, where am I going to put these? I just, I painted like 10 more guys. I'm like, where am I going to like, just, I've got KR cases in the lockup, my 40K stuff. I don't play anymore. Just sat there and I've got just cases of, of models. And when I opened and looked at some of them, I was like, I don't even like these anymore. Like in, in just the five years since I painted them or six, you know, how many years it is. 
my painting has improved so much that I was almost a little bit embarrassed by the, the models themselves. And I think I need to be really honest with myself about what I'm actually going to use. I think that's what it is. It comes down to just honesty. I've got stuff for you know horror games. I've I've been buying models for like, you know, to do like um Lovecraftian style horror horror games and I've never played one in I've never played a skirmish one and I've just been collecting it ready for when I do. It's like, well, am I ever gonna? You know? Isn't it better to find a home for them with someone who would use them? Well, I think I suppose like my initial thought would be how much room does like your horror model collection take up? Well, it has to be measured in nine separate different dimensions, obviously, Tom. <laughs> yeah, but that's just one example of one little set. You you add yeah. all them all together and then you sort of I mean, even like my bolt action, we talked about how it's dangerous because you start collecting different factions for that game and you say, oh, I like this one. And then you buy them. And then suddenly you're like, well, I have three German armies. Do I really need three German armies? Am I getting that much more? I've probably got seven or eight um, bolt action armies now. And maybe that's enough. But I could easily see me paying commandos. I think, I think it's completely up to you I, I i think i don't think there is a limit on how many like how many bolt action armies is too many like i would say there's a, a waste of time having you know this is veteran winter germans with a stug and these are veteran summer germans with a stug yeah, because they're going to play completely the same. You know, they just look different, but it's the same army list. Yeah, I do see you know, these are like early war Germans with a Panzer One and eighty eight, and these are you know having different armies for the same faction. That you know, like you could have like, oh, these are these are horde Soviets. So, for example, I have um, late war Germans. Uh, Dak, Deutsche Afrika Corps, and Fallschirmjäger. They're the three that I have for my Germans. And I'm like, I can't, I don't feel like I need to really replicate any of those. That, that's not including my 10 mil Germans. We won't talk about that right now. Uh, <laughs> I don't think, I don't need another German army, you know. No, if, 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 if you've got, like, I, I've got early war engineers, Germans, I've got early war engineers, I've got late war uh sort of like random camp grouping i've got normandy luftwaffe field division i've got a recon platoon and various bits and pieces of ss and mm -hmm. that sort of stuff i've got most of the vehicles and i've got all the artillery guns and uh, anti tank guns. I just swap and drop the crew in. Like yeah. the one thing I don't, I don't have a winter German army, um, which I'll probably add at some point. Um, and I don't have an Africa Corps army. But it's like all the armies I've got so far play quite differently, and so I'm, I, I don't need to sort of change them. Like what I can't 
an example like I I don't wouldn't change like I've got an early I've got an Operation Compass army and like so I don't feel the need for having like a BEF British army because they play more or less the same yeah you know I swap out a Matilda for a Vickers they're still just regular infantry um, yeah so that that I, I don't see the point of I don't see the point of doing and I think maybe having that I think maybe like on our earlier discussion when we we're saying like knowing the rules and like knowing the ins and outs of a game knowing how army lists play differently is is quite allows you to have these army lists which are quite different even though on the surface they may look quite similar well i think there's less different and this is a, a wonderful tangent i'm taking us down every look at everyone the tangent coming up we're branching to the right here we go um I think there's less differentiation between the armies in bolt action between a German and say a Russian army and bolt action there is between say a Timonid and an elder army in 40k. Oh, huge. Yeah. Yeah. They're, 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 you know, a rifleman's a rifleman. Yeah. You know, they're fundamentally, like each army has something slightly different. But yeah, you can do, you can build a Russian army that plays like a German army. You can build a German army that plays like a Russian army. Yeah, you can do. You know, the weird one is the Japanese. Um, that's slightly different. And I think, sort of, as you mentioned, like the, the slight danger with bolt action armies is they're relatively small and they're relatively cheap. So you can go. Like, most of mine fit in just a half kr case, and yeah. that's like back, pick it up, off we go. Yeah, and like. It's just it's just those tanks, but then I can see myself just continually buying and painting tanks because I really, really, really enjoy building and painting tanks. <laughs> I think I could give up painting everything else and just paint tanks for the rest of my well, days. I, I think, like as as we sort of mentioned earlier on in this episode about painting things for the box, mm-hmm. like I've got loads of tanks. Like you know, I've got like Yag Tiger, I've got a Yag Tiger, I've got an Elephant. I've got a mouse, all these sorts of things which are in the box. I've got a lovely resin tiger too, that is just that I'm probably never actually going to like would never in a million years competitively play with. I might well narratively play with them. The rest of the time they just they form cool bits of terrain when we're playing games sometimes. But I just painted them because I wanted them. Yeah. And like I I I do I have a collection of German World War Two tanks to the point that I've got most of them. You know, we, now in a full, I, I haven't done the full, here is the full 18 variants of a Panzer Three and the 17 variants of a Panzer Four. There's still time. Uh, I've got the different turrets. Um, but, you know, it's something I could possibly, if I had the room, it's something I could see myself going down the road because I really like building and painting them. And I think this is part of the danger of a hobby butterfly is that you just find yourself being, if you like a, if you like something, you get excited and it's quite easy to start collecting maybe too much for it. And that's why after you've changed games several times, I have one army currently for Kings of War. Yeah. And I, I think, I think I'm hopefully I'm, I'm starting to learn my lesson. Like, okay, I've got a Kings of War army. That's it. I want to get to the point where I've got, I've got my fixed, I've got my English Civil War Army. I've got my, um, I'm going to have my Napoleonic 28 mil. I was going to be my, my Portuguese, you know, so so I can use them everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I want to get to the point where I've got my my fixed 
armies for a period and then you know no i, th- I think that... maybe trim things back and go okay do i do i need i think i'm most looking at my fantasy models and going ah do i really need these beastmen anymore i've got a, a small beastmen warband that i just don't know if i'm going to be yeah. using in the future no it's like this, this that is something I, i'm definitely definitely looking at and what i'm planning on doing myself is going to right i've got a kings of war army i don't need another one i haven't got another one at the minute but i've got a kings of war army right i've got a big i've got a big 28 mil english civil war army i don't need another english civil war army 28 mil i'm building a 10 mil one because i want a 10 mil army to play down the club but i'm doing a different army like i'm viewing like that big english civil war army is an army i'm keeping for the rest of my life oh yeah that yeah mine is that that's my english i might get some cuirasses and some dragoons to add to it but it's mostly yeah. just it's done and like if like it, it might over time need like bits you know might need rebasing might need bits repair work done to it mm-hmm. but that's it that i'm not painting another 28 mil english civil war army done fingers crossed touch wood touch wood um and i think likewise i think like i think i'm looking at getting rid of is i built last year a very big oathwork army mm-hmm. and that used a number of models i had lying around because I, I had like a big dragon and this sort of a thing and so i'll use them for this i'll finally have a use for this dragon the dragon takes up half a case yeah actually i'm just going to get rid of the dragon because that takes up half the army space models with wings yeah that's just a personal thing it's just like models of wings are always does take up so much. i've got a a lamasu for my abyss of the wharfs and it's just it's the only model i just i don't keep in a case because it's just this huge winged block of you know awkward yeah. storage so actually thinking looking at things and going how easy are you to store right you you go in and like this oathmark army i built was too big because it, it, it was built using models i had knocking about mm-hmm. i can thin it right down and go right i might not be able to play four thousand points of oathmark i can play two thousand yeah Fine. uh i probably what I, I might do even is i might make it 1500 points something like that and i'll make sure i've got enough to play dragon rampant in it and go right i can play dragon rampant as well if i want to and just deciding right i've got enough i don't need a giant army for this game that i play once in a blue moon mm-hmm. and i might actually just go through it and go which of these models do i really like probably the cavalry the rest might maybe get moved on yeah in general because oathmark really hasn't really taken off at the club very much um and so- i think it was unfortunate that it was launched at the time it did yeah and it seems to be really old hammer seems to be taking more of a you know people play more fifth edition fantasy battle than earthmark yeah um so this like having you know it's in really useful boxes but it's the equivalent of like 2kr cases of earthmark that Mm -hmm. can go yeah save room and then you mentioned about things how you've painted like five years ago looked at them and go i could do these better I definitely got some bolt action armies that I look at and go, actually, there are better models available for these now, and I can paint them better. Right, I'm going to redo these eighth army guys. Oh, but it's my it's my partisans. Look, 
definitely my partisans better but because there's no fixed uniform and I have to paint them all differently <laughs> I'm not sure it might break me Tom I remember going through and painting every single model differently in the list so. <laughs> it's it's a tip I have for painting like for having just paint like because I like painting loads of ancients which are all random mm -hmm. it's just doing like right this is the color of your trousers this is your jacket this is your shirt I'm now going to mix these two together and now make another color for this jacket and that hat and just like making sure that no like two pairs of trousers are the same color I mean what what I did was I got a selection of colors that were going to be the colors for the army yeah. and I put them out on the table and I picked right right I've got 10 models this can be for his trousers, this is for his hat, this is for his jumper, next colour. And I just would just paint random bits on each one, but make sure that hopefully everyone's a little bit different, but it just, yeah. I, I just, I just, my painting is just, it's just better now. I'm a better but, painter. Especially in like mid 20th century, like you've got a bunch of people from the same area. They're going to be buying trousers and jackets and things from the same place. Yeah. I think maybe like a bit of an elephant in both of our hobby collections is also is the Marmuk of um, the elephant <laughs> is is for a game that neither of us have played in years, which is forty k. Oh, yeah, I think oh man, I have. There are some final strands that just need to be cut, and it's yeah. Like having had having it having it been such a big part of my life and getting me into this hobby. It's very hard to let my Dark Angels go. Isn't it weird how a Dark Angels player and a Space Wolf player are such good friends now? That would not be acceptable. Like I did last year, no, earlier this year, I think, sell all my unbuilt Forge World stuff, which mm -hmm. was like Christmas presents and birthday presents for years ago that I just had lying around that I'd never built and I actually got rid of them because I realized I don't want to build them I don't need them I'm not going to play with them I'll yeah. turn them into cash and I am uh, now I, I have decided once I've moved I'm going to try and liquidate my entire collection apart from possibly I think I might keep my Dreadnought army and one tray's worth of... Uh, no, I'm actually, I'm going to just keep the Dreadnoughts. Everything else I'm going to sell, because I was going to say I'm going to keep one tray of painted Marines so I can still play if you know someone wants to. But because they're, you know, some of them are getting off 20 years old or however old Space Wolves have been out, they are probably, you know, they'll be tiny compared to modern Marines. Oh, they're the old, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I've told my, my son that he can have a few of my Dark Angels to keep because he's like, oh, are you going to get rid of them? It was like sad, but I was like, well, you can have some, but the rest are going to go. So, you know, um, but I think I've got, five cases worth of dark angels and i got a case of imperial guard i got some metal valhallans hopefully i'll get a bit of money for them <laughs> well yeah like, I, i've got a, a a five foot foot locker that's like you know five foot by 18 inches square full of them mm -hmm. like, it's just full of space wolves and beastmen and all sorts i'm just going to sort it out 
sell it, the money will be nice, but the space will be amazing. Yeah. Well, I want to fill it with armies that I'm going to use. You know, yeah. I want to I want to trim it back. I want to I think having been in lockdown and painted so many models is and now I'm like, I just want to use the stuff I've got. <laughs> but I, I I'm like because I'm still in you know the world's longest house move, I actually sort of realized probably a good third of all the boxes that we're moving is technically hobby stuff. Mm-hmm. Like once you include rule books and that sort of stuff. And I just don't think it's fair on my wife, really, that I fill the flat with hobby stuff. And I know when I was packing, boxing up everything, I was like pulling out boxes that I'd got squirreled away mm-hmm. all over the place. So like, most of it is stuff that are in the yeah, Here's like this box of tanks. Here's a load of like painted Lehman Russes. Here's a load of, you know, all yeah. sort of, here's a load of sprues. And it's just, in a way, I feel it's unreasonable to keep it all. And yeah. I, I want to make the space, not with the immediate idea of, oh, I'm going to fill it this year or filling it next year. But thinking if I have this almost like a reset and go, right, I'm making myself three or four years worth of room. And then in three or four years time, I might look at the stuff I painted two or three years ago and actually go, maybe I don't play that game anymore. That can go. Or I can research. and also being mindful that you know you said like this, this Beastman warband you've got. We don't need to keep every warband we've got because if there is a new game that comes out that we really want to play and we don't actually have a warband for it, we will paint a new one. We it, we are like lucky to be in the position. It's not like we can't buy a new warband. Yeah, and pay for it. Like it's something like I wouldn't want to get rid of the English Civil War army. Because then, A, I'm still playing with it and using it, but also that's much more of a time commitment to repaint it. Painting yep. a warband is not a problem. I painted those models. I've got those models at Salute. I painted them in two weeks. Yeah. It was easy. That was 10 models done. Yeah. It's not a problem. And no. they're much nicer painted than the ones I've got in my box. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think it's probably different for every person, but you know realizing that i think i don't know about you but i think it was probably last year when we first started the podcast really having the realization that i am always going to be building and painting models yeah because i am much more really of the gaming is almost slightly incidental it's like it's the it's the excuse i give myself for building and painting models yeah and it's, it's the reason why i do it but i'm always going to be building and painting models because it's what I enjoy. Yeah. And you can't, you know, we haven't all got lofts of holding. And nor really do I want to end up with tens of thousands of pounds sunk into models where then eventually it goes in a charity shop or something. Yeah. I think it's it's much better to, you know, like selling um the Forge World stuff I sold that bought you know pretty much my hobby budget for this year yeah um so it was you know no matter what your hobby budget is being able to like sink recycle some of the stuff and also selling stuff is always you will be surprised quite often how much you get for some of the stuff Mm -hmm. Uh, it's not like 
yeah, some of the stuff I'm, ha I'm going to be happy to, you know, almost give it away to make the space. But if you've got some models which are worth 50 quid and you paid 50 quid for them, getting actually your money back for them is brilliant. Um, shock horror, you know, having money is good. But it's, you know, being able to turn dead stuff into future projects. Look up the sunk cost fallacy. I won't go for it now, but look it up. And this applies to things you have bought. You go, but, I've, but I spent two hundred pounds in that army that I'm not using and never playing, and is just sat in your house gathering dust. And your wife is asking you when you're going to move that from the kitchen table. Why is it still there? You know, yeah. <laughs> it's just if you get a tenner, you're better off. Yeah. I think like, I would say, like, using the example of that big Oathmark army I, I painted earlier this year, I think, because we're still technically in 2021. Like, I got, in a way, my money's worth out of it because it took me weeks and weeks to paint. And I enjoyed painting it and I enjoyed building it. And it was just built with stuff I had knocking about. So now recycling it is, you know, I don't feel like I wasted my time doing it. I mean... I could eat a Mars bar in about 10 seconds. And that's like a pound these days, you know. But how much enjoyment do you get out of, I mean, a, a movie ticket? Yeah. Or like yeah. a AAA, like you, you buy a AAA video game, you know, you can easily pay 50 quid for a game that some of them take, you know, eight, 10 hours to complete. You, you know, we're not now going to do a list of how much pound per hour hobbying Kayaking can be <laughs> horse riding. Go. Well, like I, the final example, like I'll use of like cost. I really enjoy going to horror, like movie marathons. They cost twenty quid for sort of twelve hours. I really feel this is something we should come back to in the future, Tom. I think you and I need to go off and have a look at our collections. In the new year, probably, if this isn't already the new year due to timey wimey, and um, and have a look at our collections and and then just you know to see what we what we want to get rid of and and maybe do that as a project in itself. See how much we can reclaim from our collection. Oh, I, I'm definitely viewing sort of sorting and thinning my collection as quite a major project. Because I've simply never done a full audit of what I've got, what I've got to build, what I've got to paint, or what I've got painted. Like you asked me right now, list every bolt action army I've got. I probably couldn't tell you off the top of my head. And so I think it's it's definitely going to be an ongoing thing. And it's something I am planning on putting quite a bit of energy in next year, which should hopefully be aided by moving. So I haven't got, I won't be able to have anything ferreted away. Everything will be like in the cold light of day to look yeah. at. So if you need an army for bolt action, now's the time to reach out to Tom. Um, I guess I know what I'm getting for Christmas. Bolt action army. It's a Hetzer. Yeah. <laughs> Are the tracks already done? <laughs> oh, I'm sure but, they're not as bad as I remember. I was, it was, yeah, it was a bad time in my life. 
but no, I think that it's definitely something we'll, we'll probably come back on. It's something we can probably mention because I think it is part for me. I'm going to view it as part of like hobby progress, mm-hmm. actually, because this is something I want to do, and I would be quite interested if, if like listeners could know, you know, let us know on the Facebook page. Actually, how much of a handle do you have on your hobby collection, and like sort of how do other people feel about it? Do people feel that they've got too much do you feel like you want you need more so what is the sort of opinion out of that it's probably very you know if, if i think if, if we both lived in large houses in you know america where we've got man caves or basements where we've got things or we had lofts of holding i think it would probably be quite different but yeah. i imagine if anybody anybody who lives in a flat or in a city anywhere in the world you know probably space is always going to be a premium I think so. Um, I have I have one of my many theories of the different ages of the ages of gaming, but we're at a certain point where you know, when you first start gaming, you just want any model you can get your hands on. You know, you're painting green soldiers, you know, plastic soldier men, whatever you can get. You're just trying to find any kind of model, and you get for a stage where you're just trying to you know see if for sale. You buy them, and then you go to the point now where we have so much from years of scavenging and getting what we can together that it's kind of you have to fight against that instinct that's been honed for years to try and you know, to hoard these models because they're not you know you, you when you when you see an opportunity to pick them up you have to take it because they don't hang around do they you know no it's and that deal that thing of yeah that, that the, the hoarding thing and also you know constantly if you buy three boxes of models a year after 25 years of buying three boxes of models a year you've got a lot of models it's not like you need to be going out buying like you know an army a week or an army a month you know you buy an army a year and never get rid of them after 10 years you've got 10 armies knocking about the place i don't mind i don't care how small your increment is if you're in a long enough timeline yeah <laughs> Even if you if you if you bought one model a year and a long enough timeline, eventually you'll fill fill up any space, you know. Um, so you know it's it's something to consider. I think we're just reaching a, a part in our in our game of life where we just have to be really honest with ourselves about our collections, and, and maybe it's time to to downsize. When I first moved to London, I got rid of nearly everything I had, um, um, property wise, like possessions wise. Um, and and now maybe it's time to do that again. Yeah, I think it's I think it's definitely a problem that's exacerbated by us being hobby butterflies and like flitting from game to game and also playing quite big games. Like if we just flip from game to game, but every game has six models in, and we paint we spend a week painting each model, it'd be a different story. Because mm-hmm. like the whole of last year's painting was you know 50 models they fit in a tray yeah because we go oh yeah we painted like five armies last year it's a different it's a different when one of your armies is a huge english civil war army it uh, doesn't really matter what the other things are no um so but also maybe if you just played those you know small games small figure armies but you need loads of terrain for them Mm -hmm. yes it's a problem that probably affects gamers equally 
I'm seeing this as a really positive thing. So am I. Actually. I'm seeing it's a really positive thing. It's like it's another. It's like a breath of fresh air. I'm terrible at throwing away old clothes as well. I should just go and throw and throw like half my clothes away that are like 20 years old, you know, and just get rid of them. I don't, and I think it's just good just to refresh and restart every so often. So it's not all going to go, but I think some a lot of it is hopefully. Yeah, I completely agree. Yay, you said it. Well. Thank you very much, listeners, for listening to this episode and for all the episodes that you've listened to in 2021. I think this one should be out just before the new year. We hope you join us for 2022 when we will do very many tangents, list readings, and hopefully lots more interesting interviews. We've got quite a few people that we've contacted to chat and are lining interviews up as we speak. So keep checking your podcatchers and chat to us on the Facebook group. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for an amazing year. Thanks so much. Goodbye and Happy New Year. Bye.